Morning. Did everyone enjoy their last hour of sleep last night? I refused to lose that hour, so I just lived my day an hour in advance yesterday. <laughs> Ate at 4.30 because it was 5.30. <laughs> um, David's gone this week. Uh, him and Brenda drove up to Louisville to go visit Jonathan. Um, so he asked me to fill in this week. Um, so if you think of them, just be praying for safe travels and that they enjoy their time with him. I, I think they're coming back on Saturday, and then he'll be back here on Sunday to preach. Um, as we were approaching Easter, David really wanted to start a series about the resurrection that led up to why is the resurrection important to us right now? What is the meaning of it? And then, of course, on Easter, we'll have an Easter service. But throughout these next uh, four weeks, we're going to see how Jesus' death has brought us life. And that's kind of the theme through these next four weeks is death to life. And we think of that as Jesus, Jesus died and then he came back to life. And we think of it as through Jesus' death, we have been given life. Um, so we're going to be doing our series through 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 58. Um, to start off, we'll just look at the first 11 verses. Um, and today we're going to be looking at how God has provided exactly what we needed in both a crucified and a risen Savior. How we needed both of them, and both, they can't be separate, separated. We can't be fully saved with just one of those acts happening. Um, throughout the week, I've been really trying to find an illustration that would maybe illustrate that. You know, I've been thinking, uh, what could best reflect um, two things that can't be separated and that accomplishes the one goal? And I don't know if I was just hungry or not because I just kept going to food and I was thinking, well, maybe like peanut butter and like jelly, you know, that would satisfy my hunger. But I eat like a peanut butter sandwich and I'm not hungry anymore. So like that didn't work. I could use just peanut butter. And I went to another food thought, and I was like, I need to just eat something so I can get off of this. <laughs> but, and then I realized, because I was really struggling with that, you know, and y'all may have know an illustration that works really well for that, but I couldn't think of something. And I just realized, you know, that's okay, that I can't think of a worldly example that can perfectly illustrate uh, Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. It's okay that I can't think of something here on this earth that would perfectly illustrate an event that's only happened once. And like I said, y'all might know something that reflects that and that helps y'all understand that and that's perfect and that's great. But I just couldn't and I realized that scripture does not need my illustrations to make sense. Um, scripture can speak for itself, it can defend itself, it can describe itself. And so without further ado, before we dive in and just hear what scripture has to say, dive into what it's um, trying to speak to us. Um, let's pray, and then we'll start reading. Lord, thank you for this day, God. Thank you for just letting us join together in worship, God, and just praise you on your throne. Lord, I just pray that um, you just speak to us today, God. Lord, that your scripture just reveals whatever it has to say to our hearts, Lord, you this was written for the Corinthians, or to the Corinthians for us, God. And so I pray that we hear what you had to speak, Lord, and that we just let it sink into our hearts, Lord, that we leave these doors encouraged, Lord, and just more knowledgeable of you, God. Lord, I just pray that you speak through me, let my words be forgotten, and let your words um, be remembered in all these ears, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. 
So we'll read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then the, then the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Um, before we start, I'm not the best at making the slides uh, with notes that are like easy to follow. So like the slides up here is just going to be like all the scriptures that we read. And so like if y'all are waiting to take notes or something based off the slides, um, that those won't be up there. And so I'm sorry for that. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so in the first two verses, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he starts talking about the resurrection because he had heard that confusion had crept in and misbelief had crept in about the resurrection. So Paul, in these, just these first two verses, is reminding them that, um, that this is the gospel that I, Paul, preached when they first heard it, I preached, and that they received, the Corinthians received it, that they stand on and are saved by if they hold fast and believe. Remember, this is a church that we read about Paul planting back in Acts 18. And now we see this church starting to divide and have confusion, and Paul's basically telling them in these two verses, remember, remember, he's begging with them, what I first preached to you. You can't stray from this. You can't stand, you can't not, there might have been a better way to say that, but you can't not stand on this one true gospel unless your belief was in vain, it was empty. So like that song that we sang, Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. Um, he's telling the Corinthians, this is what you stand on, this is solid ground. And as you start walking away, as we start getting confused and doubting about the resurrection, then we're starting to step off into that sinking sand. So, um, the Corinthians are getting confused. They're wandering away from the gospel they first heard. So a way to hear it, instead of standing on the wandering from versus standing on the gospel that was first preached to them. And in our world, that's such an easy thing to do, right? We have so many false gospels out there, um, people wanting us to just doubt, you know, doubt could creep in about did Jesus really die and was raised? Or did he really say this? And when he said this, did he really mean it like this? And so they're, we're not, they're not holding on fast to that. They're starting to let this doubt and confusion come into their mind. And that's what Paul's here for. He's trying to encourage them to continue holding on fast. Don't let go of this. And friends, when we don't hold on fast to what the word of God says and teaches, then we don't hold on fast to a gospel that saves. We start to hold on to what we want the gospel to say 
or we start to hold on to what the world says the gospel should say, right? And so he's begging them here. And our flesh and Satan, they want us to be confused. They want us to doubt what the gospel preaches. <clears throat> Sorry. Get some water here. <clears throat> they want... <clears throat> Good grief. There we go. They want to... <clears throat> maybe. They want to tear and divide the church. There we go. And there is so much going on in the world that makes that so easy for them to do if we're not standing on what we first heard, standing on what was first preached to us, what we first received. And they want us to let go. They want us to walk away from, and we can only walk away from if our belief was in vain, right? Vain meaning empty. If we wholeheartedly believe something, and we would not want to let go of that. We would want that to be our life. For Christ, uh, to live as Christ, to die as gain. To live as Christ, we would want that belief to be everything that our life is. And we wouldn't want to hold, let go of that. And so when he's saying that the, unless our belief was in vain, that's the only time we'd be able to walk away and truly just denounce everything that was preached unless we didn't actually believe it at first. Um. And so that's why when Paul's reading through this, he's, he's begging. I just imagine Paul just yelling, remember, remember, and because it's so important. That's, he says this is of first importance. So he's begging them to remember. Don't let all this confusion come and uh, cause doubt in your mind. Don't let all this confusion come and cause you to wander away, but remember what I first told you. Remember, like what David said uh, a couple weeks back, remember, repent return. So he's telling him, remember, repent, and return to this. Remember this. And he's begging them. Verses 3 in the first half of uh, verse 4, Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians that Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection is of first importance. Those two events and belief in those events can't be departed from in this gospel, the true gospel that truly saves. In verse 3, um, he says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. So Jesus' death wasn't in vain. It had a purpose. It had a reason. He died for our sins, right? Jesus died an atoning death, and his death is verified by his burial, and this sacrifice was necessary for us. And we can read that throughout most of the New Testament, right? There's so many verses that speak on that and say why God had to die and what, or why Jesus had to die and why, what that accomplished for us. And so just to read some, I have them up here on these slides. But we have Galatians 1.4, uh, who gave himself for our sins to deliver from us from the present age. Oh my goodness, I can't read. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and, and Father. Romans 3.24-26. And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Romans 4.25 who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So throughout we read, here's, here's why he had to die. Here's the importance, here's what was accomplished. If Jesus would have never sacrificed his life on the cross, we would still be dead in our sin. Oftentimes we think of uh, our sin before we found Jesus, that we were drowning, right? We were drowning in our sin. So like we were still kind of alive in that illustration, right? But scripture tells us we're dead. There's nothing we could do. We were just laying there. And so we needed Jesus. By Jesus' death, then we became alive. There was nothing we could do. There was no works that we could earn our way back to life. We were, we were dead. We were hopeless. We would still be trapped in the evil age. We would still be unjustified. We would still be groaning and only longing to be dwelling in heaven. But now, because of his sacrifice, we are alive, right? Because of Jesus' death, we're given life. That's what the whole series we're trying to talk about on. We get to walk in his light, and we don't have to groan to be in his presence, right? Because now we get to walk every day with his Holy Spirit with us. And we get to rejoice and can't wait for that day to come that we get to dwell in his presence for all of eternity. And all of this came by his death on the cross. All of this was necessary by his death on the cross. And Paul's reminding them that this crucifixion, it had to happen for these reasons. And that it is in accordance with the scriptures from the Old Testament, right? So he's like, we read this all in the New Testament. Here's what it accomplished. And it didn't just happened because, but it was prophesied about in the Old Testament. So when he's saying this, he's most likely referring to Isaiah 53, 5, and verse 12. And that reads, verse 5 reads, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So it is by Jesus' death alone that we can confidently say peace has been given to us. Healing has been brought to us, and our sins have been paid for. Paul uses this verse to show them that this has been the plan from the beginning. The crucifixion of Christ has been prophesied, and now we've heard that this has been fulfilled in accordance to scriptures. Remember, remember, he's begging. Stand on this. Remember what we've read in the Old Testament. Remember what we've heard. Hold fast to it. Don't let your belief in this be in vain, for look at all the proof that we have in God's word. Remember, remember. And as he's writing this to the Corinthians, we can think of it that it's also for us, right? It's written to the Corinthians for us, that we can look back and read and be encouraged by it. That we can look back and say, man, that sometimes I struggle with that too. It's written to the Corinthians for us. Paul's telling them, remember, remember, so that we can remember remember what scripture says that Christ's death was not in vain 
he continues on in the second half of verse 4 through verse 10, and he speaks on the resurrection, um, where he says, um, on the third day, uh, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures, again in accordance with scriptures. And then he appeared, he lists all the people that he appeared to, right? So in the second half, he's reminding them, okay, here's what we have for the resurrection, right? Here's all the things that we can remember, remember. Jesus was raised for our justification. And by his resurrection, we have evidence that God accepted his sacrifice as fully satisfying his righteousness. Um, I think it was the last time I preached, I talked about really envisioning the severity of the cross, how much wrath was poured out on Jesus there. Um, And I'll touch on it again that Oftentimes when I think of the cross, it's easy for me to think that Jesus died for my sins and my sins alone. And I can't fathom the amount of wrath that should be due for my sins. My wickedness, I can't stand in front of such a holy and perfect God. And the wrath that I deserve for my sins, I can't even fathom being poured out on him, wasn't just the wrath for me. There's the wrath for each one of us in this room. There's the wrath for whoever puts their faith in Jesus was poured out on him. And it fully satisfied God's righteousness, right? And so when he was raised from the dead, a perfect man died on that cross. A perfect and sinless man died on that cross. And when he was raised, God showed that he accepted that sacrifice. And all of this, along with the crucifixion, was also in accordance with Scripture, right? And we see this in Psalm 16, verses 9 through 11. And I know this is a really Scripture-heavy sermon, but it just refers back to so much. But Psalm 16, 9 through 11 says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then he's probably referencing back to Isaiah 53 again. Almost the same verses that we read last time, but now it's 10 through 12. So I'm just going to reread that whole section for us. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So in Psalm 16, 9 through 11, he says, you won't let your Holy One see corruption. And 53, the things that stood out to me in that was, he shall prolong his days. And then when I'm reading that, it says, he makes intercession for the transgressors. And I like to think that makes is an active thing. He's continually doing this. He didn't. It wasn't just a one-time for one-person thing. He's continually making intercession for the transgressions. Our sins are continually being forgiven. 
um, by that one act on the cross, by him being raised, our sins are continually being forgiven when we repent and return to him. Not only does the scripture point, which should be enough for us, right? Like if this is all we had, that should be enough because we believe that the word of God is the word of God. It's true. He can't lie. There's only truth found in this. But as if that wasn't enough, he revealed himself, right? Um, Read about the many verified witnesses of his appearance after he was crucified. And with so many eyewitnesses of the event, it should strengthen the Corinthians' belief in the resurrection, and it should ease much of their confusion about the resurrection, but it should also strengthen our belief in the resurrection. It should ease any confusion that we have about the resurrection. They can remember remember the accounts of these witnesses. Paul reminds them that Jesus appeared to Peter, the 12, then 500, James, and then Paul, right? And so it's like one thing if someone tells me a story and there's like one really ridiculous fact in it and I'm like, okay, I don't know if that happened. But if 500 people then told me the same story, same details, my doubt would be the one that would be suspicious, right? And then what's interesting to note is as he's talking about uh, all the people that Jesus revealed himself to, uh, he puts, he says, and lastly, myself, right? And he says, uh, let me find it here. For I am the least of the apostles, verse 9, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And it's kind of crazy to me to think of Paul even referring to himself as the least, right? Because we refer to Paul a lot, right? And we see Paul as like a a huge example for us. And he's like, and least of all, me. Paul refers to himself as the last and the least, one who is unworthy to be called an apostle because of the persecution that he brought to the church before Jesus revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus which is crazy because we see all that Paul is now, right? And he says that, uh, that all that I am now, uh, but, but by the grace of God, uh, I am what I am. Who Paul is now is all by the grace of God. And that's something we can all say and we can all relate to, right? Because as we talked about earlier, we were all once dead in our sins. We all were trapped in that evil age We pursued things of wickedness. We had nothing necessarily to want or to do with God. We didn't want that holiness near us, right? We liked our route that we were on. We liked our way, but we were dead. And it wasn't until God's grace that he removed that veil from our eyes, from Paul's eyes, where we could truly see sin for what it was. We could truly see that it was just wicked and gross and detestable And we wanted our ways to be like God's ways. That's when we wanted to seek God. And we wanted to just step away from that sin. And though sometimes we fall into it, it's by the grace of God that we can return and repent. It's by the grace of God that we're not living in that still. It's by the grace of God that we see it for what it is. Um, we, We could see that now, because he removed that veil, we can see that it would only lead to death. But God provided that way for us to have life through Jesus' death and resurrection. Both had to happen. If 
Jesus wasn't a perfect and sinless man dying on that cross, then he wouldn't have been raised, right? He wouldn't have been the accepted sacrifice there. And so because that happened, we know he was the, he was the perfect sacrifice where we don't need any more sacrifices. He paid the sins for everyone. Anything that is good and righteous that we might do or seek is all from the grace of God. We are now, who we are now in Christ is all from the grace of God, just like Paul. And not only does God's grace give us, uh, God's grace change us to be the people who long to glorify him in all things, right? But it also gives us the energy and strength for whatever God requires. God's grace gives us energy and strength to do what he requires. We can look at Paul's life as an example of this. Um, It's believed Paul started and planted at least 14 churches. Paul was officially arrested three times. He was shipwrecked, beaten, and yet he was still encouraging and helping others to follow Christ. Without God's grace giving him that energy and strength to do that, no man would want to do that or even feel like they can do that, right? Paul was ultimately martyred. And if it was not for God's grace giving him the energy and strength to go out and do all these things, we probably wouldn't even be here worshiping Christ right now. And we can look at uh, Paul's life and we see, man, he did so much and he suffered so much, but God's grace gave him that energy and strength. Whenever suffering comes our way, we often kind of want to take a step back and we don't want to go any further, right? Because we don't like that. But really, we should be standing on that rock, that rock that we sung about, that we talked about in verse 2, because we know that God's grace will give us the strength and energy to endure through that suffering, through the hard times, through the tired times. If we're going out and being on mission like we should, we'll run out of energy, we'll be exhausted, but we can lean on God, we can hold fast to his word, we can stand firm on his rock and just pray and beg for more strength and energy. So how can we apply this to our lives? How should what Paul is reminding the Corinthians affect us? Well, we just talked about one, and that's the reminder of God's grace in our life and how it changes, encourages, and strengthens us to do his will. And then I think there's three more ways, right? Because if we're thinking about it, like I've been saying, that this was written to the Corinthians, for us, what can we pull out of here? What is for us in these times when we're struggling? Well, first we can be encouraged and strengthened to stand and hold fast to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he accomplished. We can look around in our lives and we can see where we too have started to walk away from and let go of the word of God. And we can remember, repent, return. That really stuck with me when David preached on that. And there's so many ways that we can remember, repent, return. We can be alert and on guard for where Satan and the world are trying to confuse us and stir up doubt on what the word of God says. And we must remember, remember, as Paul is begging the Corinthians to remember with first importance what he has preached to us and has been confirmed by many. And that is what is so important about us gathering together, living as a community, because we can start to see where our brothers and sisters in Christ may be 
forgetting. And we can help them remember, remember. We can see their struggles and we can come and we can just sit down with them and we can love them and we can relate to them, right? Because we're all sinful and we all have our struggles. And we can remind them of what the word of God says. We can remind them how it's changed us in our lives. We can look at the people in scriptures of how God's grace has changed them. And we can help encourage and give them hope. And we can walk hand in hand with them to remember, remember what his word says. Second, we read this and um, can be reminded, and we can remind ourselves that scriptures hundreds of years prior to the crucifixion and resurrection has been pointing to these two events happening. Uh, We can be reminded of all the other eyewitnesses of these events and be comforted and assured in these two events. Right? So even if we're kind of alone right now, maybe, and we don't have that community around us, but we should be fighting to get in that community but we have the word of God still. And we can look at the scriptures, how this was prophesied. We can look at all the people that he, Jesus revealed himself to after his resurrection. And we can be encouraged and uh, comforted in these two events if we ever doubt the resurrection and crucifixion. And third, we can see that the church has a common confession. That Jesus died for our sins and God raised him from the dead that God provided exactly what we needed in a crucified and risen Savior. As a church, we can, like I said in the first one, we can encourage and hold on fast because we all have a common confession that Jesus died for our sins and he was raised from the dead. He's our risen Savior. And we needed both, right? Both, we can't have one without the other. Unlike my peanut butter and jelly, I could have a peanut butter sandwich and my hunger still be satisfied. But I would not be complete, uh, this act wouldn't be complete without a crucifixion and a resurrection. Both had to happen to bring us from death to life. We can't have one or the other. So we can't start to wander from, from one like the Corinthians. We can't be confused by one and doubting one. We need to stand firm on that. And there's so much evidence in scripture that points to that. That's what this church is for. That's what we're supposed to be going out and sharing with others that, hey, you're dead in your sin, and I was too. But let me tell you these two things that had to happen that has given me life right now, that has given me hope and peace and joy. We need both of these to happen. Jesus died the atoning death, and Jesus was raised for our justification. This is the center of the gospel that saves. This isn't something that we can wander from. This is the center. Without this, there's, there's no hope. This is the center. This is the nucleus of it. This is the center of the gospel that our world right now needs to hear. And one that is so blinded and lost and so just sad. Sad to look at. This is what they need to hear. And this is what God gives us the energy and strength by his grace to go out and share, just as Paul did. This is the gospel that God's grace, we have no excuse, this is the gospel that God's grace gives us the energy and strength to share and live. This is the gospel that changed us. This is the gospel that will change others. 
This is the gospel that everyone needs, right? That's our common confession, that we all have that, and we all know that, and we all believe that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for sending your son to die that death for us, God, for taking on the wrath that was deserved for us. Lord, we thank you for your perfect and sinless son who was raised from the dead, for he was the perfect sacrifice, as Jessica said, a sacrifice that ended all other sacrifices. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you removed the veil from our eyes, that you've changed us, not by our own good works, not by anything we could produce or ever achieve, but by your grace, God, you've changed us and you've saved us. You've brought us from death to life through your death to life. Lord, I pray that you give us energy and strength to go out and share this with our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, just to this lost world, God. I pray you give us hearts that break when we look at the world and its lostness, our hearts that ache and want other people to know of your love and your grace, God. I pray that when confusion or skepticism starts to creep into our mind and to our church, Lord, that we hold fast to your word, that we stand on that solid rock, God, and as a community, as brothers and sisters, Lord, that we encourage each other to remember, remember. And Lord, where we've wandered off, where, where we've started to put our foot on that, stink, on that sinking sand, God, Lord, I pray that we do as David told us uh, a few weeks back, that we can remember, repent, and we return, God, by your grace, Lord. Lord, we just pray and we ask this all in your holy, perfect, and precious name. Amen.